Hey, I'm Stephen Billings, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect with you. You can text 97000 with the words River Connect to share any prayer requests or just to say hello. It would be so great to hear from you. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can give by texting the amount that you would like to give to 84321. You can also head to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the page as well. Thanks again for joining us, and I hope you have a blessed day. Listen, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Matthew chapter 6. We are continuing, as you saw from the video, our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, if you haven't been with us last week, I kind of walked through an introduction of uh, where we're at in Jesus' sermon. We're kind of picking up right in the middle. Uh, So just a quick review. Jesus started his sermon walking through uh, what we would call things that are really countercultural, right? They don't necessarily fit into our our mind as something that that Jesus calls as blessed. He says, blessed are the poor. Most people wouldn't say, man, it's awesome to be poor, right? I mean, that's just reality. No one say, oh, man, you're blessed. You have no money. Great. Awesome. Or, Or blessed are those who mourn. You know, no one likes grief, no one likes sadness, and Jesus is really walking through some very countercultural things and applying what it means to be blessed in those things. And we walk through uh, Jesus' theme that this is all about righteousness and how he contrasts what the world or what man or even what the religious people will call as righteous when it's rooted in men's tradition and, and how righteousness is really at the core of Jesus' message. And he's, he's really tearing apart our ideology as mankind, as the way man sees what is righteous versus what God says this is righteous. And towards the latter part of chapter 5, Jesus walks through things that most people, when you have the conversation, would go, yeah, that's wrong. That's poor behavior, dealing with anger, lust. But Jesus does something that's quite amazing in his delivery of these things. Things that we would go in our human mind, in our human precept, would go, yeah, clearly murder is wrong. You don't have to tell many people, hey, you shouldn't murder. Like we know that instinctively, I think, culturally speaking, societally speaking. We don't sit there and go, "Uh, you know, uh, maybe murder's okay. Right? I mean, nobody, adultery, that's another subject that Jesus deals with. Oh, man, man, if you cheat on your spouse, man, that's okay. No, he takes things that we clearly know as, as the human condition in, the, in, our, in our man-made, whatever you want to call it, system thinking. We go, yeah, murder is clearly wrong. Adultery is clearly wrong. We know these things. And he lists several things that we would go through and go, yeah, clearly these are wrong behaviors. But what Jesus does is he says, okay, this is how you were taught it. You have heard that it was said to you. This is how the religious people tried to tell you how to be righteous. These wrong activities. Thou shalt not murder. Jesus levels it up a little bit, if you will, and really deals with what's going on in the heart. He says, I'm going to tell you this. If you hate somebody, you've murdered them. If you have hate in your heart. Not, not, hey, I never killed anybody. I've never physically and literally killed anybody. But if I hate somebody... 
In my heart, I wish them ill, I hate them. It's the same. The condition of the heart is equal to, if you will, the same as murder. Walking about, uh, talking about adultery. He says, you may have never committed the act of adultery. As he's walking through these things that in our minds, we go, that's clearly wrong. We shouldn't do that behavior. Jesus goes, listen, here's the deal. If you lusted after a woman in your mind, it's the same as adultery. The clear don'ts, if you will, and he levels them up a level level, because he says, here's what you were taught. This is the way man says, hey, don't do it literally. Obviously, don't do it literally. But Jesus is saying the condition of your heart matters more than just the literal act. Where's your head at? Where's your mind at? Where's your heart at? Is what Jesus is saying as he walks him through that. And then last week, we walked through things that I would say in human thinking, precepts, most of us would say, hey, these are really good acts. I don't think there's a single person here that would say, hey, listen, if you give to the poor or the needy, that's a sin against God. I don't think anybody would say that, would you? I, I, we look at that and go, no, that's clearly good. When someone gives to the needy or gives to those who are poor, man, we would look at that and go, wow, that's really awesome. Man, that's great. Those are good behaviors to have in our life. Well, we're going to walk through today. We're going to start in the next four weeks covering the aspect of prayer. I don't think anybody in their right mind would ever say, hey, listen, you should not pray. It's a bad idea. Don't pray. I'm using sarcasm. I hope you see that. Like this, this is like not something we would go and say, hey, Jesus is, is, as he's walking through what we would in human mindset, in human, in our human thinking, in our human ideology, we wouldn't, we would never say, hey, uh, you should be careful how you give to the needy. You should be careful how you pray. We would all look at these things and go, yeah, these are clearly good behaviors. These are good things. But we see Jesus again, just like we looked at when he was walking through the latter part of Matthew chapter 5, leveling up what we would clearly know is bad and really dealing with the heart, we see again Jesus, even in things that we would go, man, these are really good things. Jesus goes, you got to be careful where your heart's at. Last week we walked through giving and how we give and is our heart there to be seen by others, to be recognized by others, or are we doing it in secret so that God is glorified and in that secret, we, we walk through the rewards. Today, we're going to start uh, really within Jesus' message. He really focuses from this point in Matthew 6. We're going to be in verse 5 and 6, just two verses. But for the next three weeks, three to four weeks, we're going to walk through this aspect of prayer. And Jesus is teaching on what we have to be careful of in our tone, in our, even our words, the, the number of words we use. And really, he gives us a model prayer, and we're going to walk through that, known as the Lord's Prayer. And so today, we're going to look at really specifically focusing on the tone of our prayer and the cautions, the way not to do things, and the way to do things. I love how I said this last week. Jesus is very balanced in his teaching. So let's start with Matthew chapter 5, really beginning in verse 5. We're going to read just two short verses And we'll walk through it and expound on it. So let's begin in verse 5. And he says this, and Jesus, in continuation with his sermon, as he's walking us through the do's and don'ts, if you will, of righteousness, he says this, And when you pray, when you pray, you must, must not be like the hypocrites. 
before I go in a little further, I want to, when we talk about pray or prayer, this word that's actually mentioned there, the word pray in this very passage, when you pray, this comes from two Greek words that are brought together, and I am no way, shape, or form an expert in Greek. But I, I looked it up, and here's what the two words. One is pros, P-R-O-S, and the other word is eshomai, I think is how it's pronounced, eshomai. That is E-U-C-H-O-M-A-I. The first, the prefix of the word, means toward or facing. It emphasizes the direct approach in seeking God's face. The latter, the suffix, the eshomai, means wish or prayer. It is a technical term for invoking a deity and so covers every aspect of such invocation, such as to request, to entreat, to make a vow, to consecrate. It literally means to pray to or go before when you take these two Greek words and combine them. This, pre, this prefix, the word pros, pros P-R-O-S, in, in conveys the sense of being immediately before God and hence would also include the ideas of adoration, devotion, and worship. I want you to think about those three words. Adoration, devotion, in, in the same sense as the terms you would say, I'm devoted to my spouse. Desire that time. I mean, when you first get married or you're in a new relationship, I mean, I can remember me and my wife were inseparable. On the phone, every moment we got, we wanted to be next to each other. Quite frankly, we still, not trying to get brownie points, but we still like being with each other, right? Like that doesn't just fade away and go away. There is a devotion there. In the same sense as we're walking through this aspect of prayer, what the word pray actually means is this idea that we go before the Lord and it includes not only our petitions but it includes our adoration, our devotion, and our worship. The basic idea of this verb is to bring something in the form of prayer, the petitions, to bring it to the Lord. The word for prayer encompasses all the aspects of prayer such as submission, confession, a petition, intercession, praying on the behalf of others. It includes praise and thanksgiving. So as we read this text and we see this word prayer, understand what it is encompassing. It's encompassing our adoration. It's encompassing our devotion. It's encompassing our petitions and our worship. And so when Jesus teaches this, he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. And of course, we've walked through what hypocrites were last week. It's a theatrical term, a mask wearer, someone that puts on a show. I was reading a commentary about this aspect of hypocrite, and I like what was written. Hypocrite describes the insincere person who pretends to be pious or virtuous when he or she really is not. The parallel thought to uh, is what others see, what's on the outside. And I love how this author uh, described this. He says, we call that reputation. What other people see on the outside. 
is our reputation. He says, as he continues in this, God sees what's really present on the inside. We call this character. What's our character versus what's our reputation? And of course, the commentator continues and says, God is interested in our character more than our reputation. Our character, what we do when no one else sees us. How our relationship with God is when no one else sees what our relationship with God is like. Our character versus what our reputation might say. What other people see. As we continue in this passage, we see Jesus warning us against the hypocrite, the mask wearer. The one that's maybe more concerned about their reputation than their actual character. And he continues, as Jesus continues, he says, For they love to stand. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. If you've got the book and maybe this week you're working through the study guide, I love what Pastor Chuck did. He's our Grand Blank location pastor. He's the one that wrote the study guides for the, the series that we're in. He, he defined this word stand in this manner. It gives in the Greek the perfect tense. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I'm taking Pastor Chuck's word for it, and he is very much the guy I go to when it's a Greek question. He says, this is given in the Greek perfect tense. This is to convey that when they are standing there, the word stand, that when they are standing there, this is where they are obviously doing their praying. And he says this, in other words, it is the only place they are praying. That word stand, well, we just say, okay, he's, we think of it in the physical posture sense, but you, when you understand Greek and you break it out into its tense, what, what Pastor Chuck is conveying in this is this, the fact that this is where they do their praying, the only place they do their praying. And as you continue to see what Jesus is laying out in this text, he says, for they love to stand, this is the place that they do their prayer, and pray in the synagogue and the street corners. Why is this the only place they do their praying? Jesus continues and he says that they may be seen by others. That their reputation looks good. That they may be seen by others. They less are concerned about their character, the condition of their heart, and they are more focused on their reputation. He continues and Jesus says in this text, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And then Jesus walks through what it is that is expected, the, the don'ts and the do's. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray and really kind of briefly walk through what Jesus is teaching us in this matter, the very opening of this aspect where we're walking through his teaching on prayer, he really focuses, I believe, on the tone of our prayer, how we approach him, the condition of our heart when we approach him. So let's pray and we'll go through this. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning. Man, just the, the crisp, cool air. Lord, thank you for the time that we get to gather together and open your word. Lord, I just pray that you would be with me. Let your spirit lead me, guide me. Lord, work in every person's heart here that needs to work on like you have worked on my heart this week. I ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So what not to do? 
right? Jesus is walking through this text as we read it. We see very clearly what he's telling us not to do. The first thing he says is when we pray that we must not be. We must not be like the hypocrites. We must not be like, and we know this carries back into the scribes and the Pharisees. He mentioned this back in Matthew chapter 5, midway through. And he says, our righteousness must exceed that of the, the scribes and the Pharisees to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so he's then tearing apart what the scribes and the Pharisees actually considered as righteousness. And so here he's, he's confronting their motive, their heart, and the aspects of prayer. And as I was preparing for this, I was taken to Luke chapter 18. There's a parable that Jesus shares in regards to prayer. It's a very clear picture to show the condition, if you will, the tone of one's prayer when they approach God. Luke 18, 9 through 14, Jesus lays out this parable. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Again, the theme of righteousness you clearly see laid out in this aspect here. And here Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I got a parable to share with you. And the people to whom he's sharing this parable to, they have a problem of trusting in themselves for their own righteousness. In other words, a man-made righteousness. Very similar to probably the way the Pharisees saw themselves as being righteous people. And he says, and they treated others with contempt. And there's a first cue right there. I just want you to see that. We don't even have to go any further. But the minute you see somebody approaching you with contempt, they're missing one of the major core characters and behaviors of God. Listen, if you think you're all that in a bag of chips and you can look down on other people, that's what contempt means, you've missed the very humility, the character of Jesus and of the Father. And he continues and he says this in verse 10, Two men went up into the temple, and the purpose for their visit to the temple was, in fact, to pray. Again, no one's condemning prayer here. I want you to know that. No one's saying, don't pray. But there's a tone in which we ought to approach the Father. And here, Jesus uses this parable to give us a very clear comparison and contrast. He says, one was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. In the Jewish society... You are talking about two completely economic spectrums. And, and what I'm saying in that is not necessarily in their wealth, but in their reputation. See, a Pharisee was perceived as and, and was considered the best of humankind. They were considered as the ones who got it right. They, they're not screw-ups. They're good people. This is this the position. They're wealthy, sure. Tax collectors were wealthy as well. But the difference is the tax collector had a different reputation. Oh, he's a betrayer. He's betraying us. He's a, he's a scumbag. No other way to say it. This is the, their perspective, the way they looked at a tax collector was somebody that is the lowest of low. Lower than a thief. Lower than someone who acts unjustly, maybe even lower than an adulterer. The tax collector, oh man, there's nothing good. Man, this guy is a screw-up from day one. This guy has made all of the mistakes in the world. Look at 
All he can do now is be a tax collector. He is the lowest, if you will, of society. He might have had money. That wasn't his reputation. It wasn't about wealth. It was really just simply about their reputation. And the Jewish culture would have looked at a Pharisee next to a tax collector, and they would have wanted their kids to be like the Pharisee way more than they wanted them to be a tax collector. That's just the reality. And so here Jesus in this parable, as he goes on, he lays out the condition of their heart regardless of their reputation. He says, the two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, one a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself. Circle that. He was by himself. You can immediately take this from this implication. He was not in the presence of God. He was standing there by himself. And as he begins to pray, not being in the presence of God, listen to his tone, if you will. He prayed, Jesus says, he prayed like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, not unjust, I'm not like adulterers, man, I'm not even like this tax collector. Lord, I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. Can you hear the arrogance? Like, I mean, I don't think that's hard stretch to hear. I was thinking about how I could really, really pull this into terms that we understand, and I, I am by no means an actor, but man, I imagine, I just imagine, this Pharisee walks into the church, the temple, the synagogue together with this tax collector and in his mind he's very uh, much judgy, he's contempting against this man and he's like man, and this is how he approaches God oh God I mean you can just hear the accentuation of the tone oh Father and I'm not mocking the way people pray, please know that I'm trying to help you see the tone of this man's heart Oh, God, man, I praise you. You're so good. I'm so glad that you made me who I am. Man, I'm so good, Lord. I'm so, I praise you, Lord, for who I am. Man, aren't you glad I am yours? God, man, it's, you are just so good in so many ways. Man, I, I'm not an adulterer, man. Thank you, Lord, for keeping me from the sin of adultery. Man, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. Lord, man, I'm so, so thankful that I walk in righteousness. I'm not unjust. I, I didn't have an unjust action in my life. Man, God, oh, I'm just so glad that you are the one. Can you hear this? God, man, I walked in with this tax collector. Let's pray for him. He needs a lot, a lot of prayer. Lord, I'm just so glad I'm not like him. Man, you, this is literally what he's praying. This is the example. Like, you hear that and you go, wow, this man is really full of himself. Can you hear it? Can, can you see it? This man, the, the condition of his heart, where, where it's prideful and it's arrogant in his approach to the Father. 
Now let's look in contrast to the tax collector. Verse 13. But the tax collector, the one that maybe doesn't have the greatest of reputations, he stands afar off, but notice he's not alone. He's not by himself. He's just afar off. He would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his chest or his breast saying, God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. In the same format, if the, the Pharisees up there, this guy recognizes where he's at. I'm just going to, he's, he's approaching Understand prayer. This is what they're doing. They're approaching the presence of God. One actually stands by himself and is actually all by himself. Here's a man who doesn't even approach the same space, if you will, because he recognizes his own unrighteousness. He recognizes the contrast between his heart, his condition, his his standing, if you will, if you take it in reality, what it really is, not just because he has a poor reputation, the Pharisee actually is in the same condition as this man when it comes to his heart. It's wretched, desperately wicked and evil. But this man, man, he can't even look up. In contrast to the Pharisee who's like, Lord, aren't you glad I'm here? Man, I'm here to, last week we talked about the hero complex. Here I am to save the day, I'm the hero, right? Here we're talking about an ego complex. Lord, I'm here, I'm here, aren't you glad? Man, God, man, I know you've got a lot on your plate. Here's the deal, when I got this happening and this happening, hey, I really appreciate you get this done for me and that done for me. Man, appreciate it, Lord, I'll catch you on the next time. See you, bye. Can you hear it? The ego, the approach, the tone, where this man, the tax collector, man, he, he, can't, he can't even hardly face God. The tone in which he approaches the Lord, his heart, where he's coming to the Lord, he's like, man, Lord, I, I don't even dare approach you because I know my own condition. And all he can do, I love this about this story, all he can do is approach the Lord in humility and say, Lord, please just show mercy on me. The tone is completely different. One is that of pride, and the other is that of humility. This sinner, he says, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Please show mercy on me. Can't look up to him. Has this heart of sorrow. This is where we get into, if we want to tie in the blessings. Blessed are those who mourn, right? Blessed are those who mourn, recognize their shortcoming, recognize their sin, and they go before the Lord and say, Lord, I really have nothing to offer you. All I can ask for is your mercy, your kindness, your forgiveness. Please show that to me, a sinner. And Jesus continues to tell in verse 14, I tell you this, man went down to his house justified. This man, the man who walked in and approached the Lord in humility, not arrogance, not pride, but he came to the Lord recognizing his shortcoming and humbly fell. Basically, he didn't fall. It says he stood. But basically, he came before the Lord, not lifting his head in the amount of pride, but came before the Lord and said, Lord, 
all I can do is ask for you to help me. I need you. The contrast is so palpable. He goes home justified rather than the other. He goes home with God, being before God in his presence. He has the encounter, the other does not. The other stands there, spoke words into the air by himself, made himself feel good, I'm sure. I'm not like that guy. No, you're not. That guy got to go home with God. Being transformed and changed in the presence of God. This guy, he just got to hear how awesome he was to himself. As we walk through this passage, we even can go a little further in Luke chapter 20, verse 45, and we really start to see the condition that Jesus is warning us about back in Matthew 6. This warning of not praying like the hypocrites. Matthew chapter 20, verse 45 and 47, it says this as Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples. Again, we see this word, beware, be careful, be cautious of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. They love greetings in the marketplace because they're the heroes. And they love the best seats in the synagogues. The places of honor at feasts because they have a big ego. But when you really get down to the core of their heart, besides their reputation, when it gets down to the character, the part that God sees, this is what they are. These are people who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. That word pretense is the same word to put on a show. Lord, God, you're so good. Man, thank you for making me. I will bring greatness to your kingdom. You see the arrogance, the pride, the heart, the condition of the people that Jesus is telling us to be warning of is they miss they miss, they're intense, they're, they're the core of who they are, the wickedness of who they actually are. They are okay with devouring widows' homes. Now, how they actually executed that, I couldn't tell you. Maybe they expected them to pay greater tithe for the tabernacle. And it just destroyed homes because they couldn't carry that weight or that burden. Maybe they devoured their homes because they would, would never go lend an, a hand to help and they would just demand things of them. I don't know exactly. The pretense, the show, the production, if you will, was, man, where everybody else can see me, I'm going to act like I'm righteous. But the character that Jesus is warning is, man, the heart doesn't really give a rip about people. They just want the praise This word pretense, man, it's, it's the same word we use for a hypocrite. It's the same word we use as for a poser, a fake, a fraud. Jesus is saying in our prayers, we need to be cautious not to mimic. Do not look like this. Do not act like this. Don't be like this person. I was looking at different people's comments as it attributes to the, the fact of prayer and what it likes. A.T. Robertson, he comments 
in this aspect of what it means to do this action in front of the synagogue and the streets. And he says, these were usual places of prayer, the synagogue. This isn't an unusual place to see people pray. Understand that. The synagogue is not a place where you go, oh, man, it's really weird to see someone praying there. It's no different than walking into church. Like, listen, I would expect to see people praying at the church. I would expect church people to be praying. Like, this is normal. This, this isn't an unusual place to see people pray. The condition is really... As he goes back to it, is the condition is really a matter of where their heart's at and what glory they're seeking. One of the ways that I was studying for this and looking for ways to bring it into our day and age, the way for us to understand it in a way that we can apply it. I'm going to just be very frank. When I read this, man, it stung. A man by the name of Dwight Pentecost. P-E-N-T-E-C-O-S-T, wrote these words regarding our modern church and really kind of ties in what we're talking about in a way that might help us understand a little bit about the dangers of what Jesus is warning. He says this, while man's faith in God will manifest itself in man's relationship to men. A man's faith in God is a matter between himself and God alone. What is he saying there? The reality is, is when we have a relationship with God, we're going to be seen differently by other people. It's going to affect our relationship with mankind. But the re- reality of that relationship is rooted solely in an individual with them and their God. The God, if I could say it like that. So he says, when one's religion is used to impress men, God disavows it as, a, as providing any basis for his approval. God doesn't see it as something, when it becomes something that we put on as a show to impress people or even to impress ourselves that we're spiritual. He says, God doesn't see that as any reason to give you approval. And he says this as he continues, multitudes assemble themselves in churches, not out of a heart of love and devotion to God, nor because they recognize a sense of obligation to come together with God's people around his very word to fellowship with the Father. They gather together to maintain an image, a reputation, if you will, before men. They go through empty forms of worship devoid of any reality. They are there to impress men, and the Lord said they will get what they want. They will have their reward, but that reward is not from God. What he's saying is here, this is, this is something that we in the church need to be acutely aware of. We need to be acutely aware of the show, if you will, how we present ourselves for the sake of other people seeing us, while inside our relationship with God doesn't even exist. He warns that this is such a dangerous thing, and it can exist in our church, and I've seen it in my own life. I've been a part of church since I was a little boy. My dad's a missionary kid. Listen, I'm going to tell you, church people are the greatest at putting on a show. 
They're the greatest at faking it. They know how they're supposed to pretend, what ways they are to communicate, and inside it can be rotten to the core. It's a danger that Jesus is saying that when we approach the Lord, our tone of prayer, it has to be something that we are acutely aware of. Am I just doing this for show? And it might be show to somebody in the crowd. It might be something you're pretending to yourself. Man, if I do this, then God will see me as righteous. If I do this, it's like the, it's like the genie bottle. Just, you're just doing this to get an answer, to get something from God, and really there's no relationship. You're just doing it because, man, this is how I get what I need. I'm in crisis. I need help. I'm going to rub the genie bottle. I'm going to go to the Lord. I'm going to pray. It's not a relationship. So as we continue in this text in Matthew 6, we jump back to there. We see Jesus telling us what to do. There's the warning. Be careful of this. This is is what you have to watch out for. Don't do this. Do this. But when, and I will emphasize that it says when, not if. But when you pray. Not if you pray. Jesus isn't teaching that you don't pray. He's not saying, hey, if you ever get around to it, pray. No, when you pray. This is something that has to be part of our routine. This is something that there is an expectation. When you do this, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Listen, as I look through this and was trying to think of illustrations to help make this, what Jesus is actually teaching, something that's palpable for us, something that we can relate, something that we can kind of make tangible for us. And I couldn't help but think of my own relationship with my father, my relationship with my daughters. And maybe you will relate to this, maybe you won't. I don't know what your relationship with your father was like. I have no idea, so this may be a sore spot for you. But maybe you're a parent. And so as a parent, you can, can, can relate to the relationship you have with your children. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, hey, go shut the door. What he's saying is, hey, get rid of the distractions. Remember, you're going to have this prayer, which is adoration. It is worship. It is petitioning. It is time specifically between you and God alone. There's nothing else in the way. No phone distraction. Listen, I'm guilty of this just as much as anybody. I'll start to pray and then my phone goes off. Oh, there's something happening. Sorry, Lord. It's really important. Text message, I don't know. We do this. This is life. Or, or we get a phone call. Maybe we're in the middle of our time alone, special with God, and we get a phone call, and then all of a sudden, God, God I'll get back with you. I got, this is really important. i got to take this call. And we're off to the races. What Jesus is saying here is this time, this time that we get with the Father is to be extremely valuable. And if you think about the time that you had with your Father, or that as a Father you have with your kids, you cherish it. Maybe your Father has passed. My Father hasn't passed. My grandfather has, and I can tell you, Vivid memories in my life 
where my grandfather did special things with me. Taught me how to drive an S10 stick shift. I could tell you the place, the street. Took me on my first hunting trip with a bow and arrow. Thought the guy was crazy. He let me shoot it beforehand. I was pretty good at hitting the target. Then he stuck me up in a tree by myself and said, you, you'll, you'll be all right. Shoot the first thing that walks by. <laughs> I was like, what if it's a person? He's like, you know what I mean. Vivid moments and times and memories with, with people that we cherish and care for. Your father. It could be your father. Time you spent with your father. Maybe he's passed and you go, man, that time was so important to me. It was precious. And quite frankly, if you've lost somebody that's super important to you in that shape, you would do anything to get another moment with them. Another second, a minute just to cherish another, hold their hand, say a few words. Man, it's so valuable to you, that time. And here Jesus is saying, hey, listen, when you come and you talk to the Father, when you talk to him, make sure you don't have any distractions. Treat it like it's special. One of the things, I don't do this, I tried to do this, let me put it that way. I'm not the best at it. But I have four ladies in my life, my wife and three daughters. There happens to be four weeks in a month. And so one of the things that we try to do every week, I take one of them out on a date. We'll go out to eat, we'll do an activity, we'll do something. And it always amazes me, just as a father with his children, like, man, I'm going to be really honest with you, I don't necessarily know how to relate to my three daughters. They're different range, different age. I'm a dude. They're not, right? Like, there's a lot of extremes in trying to relate with my daughters. But you know what always amazes me? Man, I'm like, I'm always perplexed at the end of our dates. Man, they just love spending time with me. And as a father, man, that makes me feel so good. It's like, oh, man, I really had a good time. I really had fun just being with you, sitting and going and having uh, a meal, getting to learn what your passions are, the things you like, the things you don't like, just spending time with them. And I, and I share that example not as to some kind of a means to, oh man, John, you're really great. No, but I'm trying to help you understand and relate to what the Father in heaven desires with us. He gave us these earthly relationships to help us understand how we can relate to him in heaven. And what God is saying and what Jesus is teaching here is, hey, go find special time where you can just sit with God. You don't have to have an agenda. There's no routine in it. You don't have to walk through uh, your special prayer list. I would encourage you to do those things when you bring your petitions to him. But maybe just go spend time with the Father. Sit. Just sit. Get rid of the distractions. Make sure you get rid of the phone. Maybe bring your Bible in there so you can hear what he has to say to you. And we're busy people. We are all busy people. We have busy schedules. Life is busy. But do we actually value the time that we get? We get to spend with the Father. The creator of the universe. 
the one that made you, knows you, knows every aspect about you? Do we cherish that moment with the Father like we do maybe with our earthly fathers, earthly counterparts, our spouses? May we cherish those moments. We value them. Our kids, the time we spend with our kids, we love those things. Do we actually go seek the Father with the same heart, the same tone? Lord, I want to spend time with you. R.A. Torrey, he was a famous preacher back in the day. Dealing with this aspect of prayer, he says this, and I'll close. We should never utter one syllable of prayer, either in public or in private, until we are definitely conscious that we have come into the presence of God and are actually praying to him. He speaks of this in his own regards, regarding his own prayer life. He says, I can remember when, when that thought transformed my prayer life. I was brought up to pray. This is R.A. Torrey speaking. I was brought up to pray. I was taught to pray so early in life that I have not even the slightest recollection of who taught me to pray. Nevertheless, prayer was largely a mere matter of form. There was little real thought of God and no real approach to God. And even after I was converted, yes, even after I was entered the ministry and became a minister, prayer was largely a matter of form. But then he says the day came when I realized what real prayer meant. Realizing that power or that prayer was having an audience with God. Actually coming into the presence of God and asking and getting things from him. In other words, having a relationship. The realization of that fact transformed his prayer life. Before that, prayer had been merely been a mere duty and sometimes I would even say it was an irksome duty can any of you relate to that man sometimes it's a pain to pray it's inconvenient but he says from the time from that time on prayer has not has been not merely a duty but a privilege and in fact he goes it's one of the most highly esteemed privileges that we have in life before that, the thought that I had was how much time must I spend in prayer? He says, the thought now that possesses me is, and I love this, how much time may I spend in prayer without neglecting the other privileges and duties of my life? Wow. When we think of prayer, when we think of the time that we get with God Almighty. Man, do we have that kind of a heart? Is the approach, the tone by which we approach God really dedicated in that manner? Do we say, man, God, how much time do I get to spend with you before I have to do the other stuff? Oftentimes he's our last when we're in trouble, we're in crisis. Then we go to God instead of going to God and saying, God, man, I, got, I just want to spend time with you. 
man, I just, I just, I know I don't deserve it. I know I, I'm as the, the sinner, the tax, I, I'm, I'm wretched, Lord. I want mercy. I want time with you. Will you do that? I know this has gone a little bit longer than I expected. In conclusion, I'm just going to leave you with a couple questions. We'll close and we'll sing a song. What's your tone in prayer to God? Are you focused on how it appears to others or maybe how you're trying to convince yourself of your own spirituality? Maybe you're hoping that this prayer, that somehow by doing it in prayer, you will in essence measure up and merit and God will grant you your wishes. You see him like a genie in a bottle. Or do you view your time with him as something incredibly, incredibly special? Do you have to force yourself to go spend time with him? The reality is, as Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 6, God desires that intimate time with each and every one of us, alone, undistracted. And the reward that you get by spending that time, I would say and argue the time itself is the reward. Just being able to be present with God, that time alone in and of itself is the reward. But compare then contrast the man who stood here and spoke to himself versus the one who sits before the almighty God, the creator of the universe, and dedicates his time to you to spend with you. Man, it's an incredible privilege. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your scripture, the words that you gave to us to help us understand the, the message of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, to really hone us into where our hearts need to be. Lord, I just first and foremost, thank you so much that you are not too busy, that, that you dedicate and desire to spend time with each and every one of us, that you consider the time with me valuable to you, that you'd consider the time with every single person here valuable to you. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, help us commit in our hearts to spending more time with you. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.